How's it going, guys? Lovely to be with you. Hi, I'm Seth. If you don't know me, nice to meet you. We can talk after. It'll be really fun. Um, so I, I'm going to make this front part quick just because uh, the person we're talking to today is one of the most special people in my life. Um, and I can't wait to talk to him. And we're going to do a little experiment this morning and see <laughs> how it goes. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so um, I know for me, there's this, uh, this, this idea around CMYK of be honest. And, and for me in a lot of my life and what I've been uh, pursuing is I, I noticed in my mid-20s there was a great desire to simply be honest. That part of the reason I left my job as a pastor was I didn't feel like I was being honest with myself or with the, the people I was talking to. Part of the reason that I'm kind of at the place I'm at spiritually is because I'm being more honest with myself and where I'm at. <clears throat> and so... Uh, the, the, the invitation at CMYK is that we're allowed to be honest. And uh, I would say, even with where I'm at in my agnosticism, that I think the Bible has this beautiful invitation of honesty that I really love. I'm going to read you a story, give you a thought on it, and then I'm going to invite someone to speak with me who continually challenges me to be honest. He's just someone in my life who pulls honesty out of me and reminds me that um, being honest is... Uh, the, the most valuable thing I, I think I have right now. So there's a story that I think you've heard before. Um, it's from Genesis 32. <clears throat> and I've been really loving the book Genesis. I, I was talking to Michaela this morning that the book of Genesis has become really powerful to me. Um, um, I, I personally took away the literal reading of Genesis for myself. I don't read it literally anymore, but I feel like these stories are so profound because they, they tell about human beings and their condition and, and where we've been and, and where we're going. And, and something speaks to me at my core when I read these stories in Genesis, and I no longer read them literally. And so here's one of these stories. It's about a guy named Jacob wrestling with God. That night, <clears throat> Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. And so Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Then man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. And then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed them there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Now, a lot of questions. Weird story. I get it. Like some dude just out of nowhere, we're wrestling, not a whole lot of dialogue, bless me, all of a sudden it's daylight. It's just, there's just a lot of details we're missing in this story, I feel like. And I struggle with that, and that's part of the things about these old stories. And I'm like, not a very good storyteller, whoever wrote this down. So work on it. But I read this story, and I see this incredible invitation. It's one of my favorite stories in Genesis, because I, just, I, I feel that like there's this immense amount of permission for us to wrestle with whatever it is that is God. So for me, in my life where I'm at, wrestling with even the reality of, is there, is there a God right now? 
um, with where I'm at. And so I, I read a story like this, and I, I think this story has been around for thousands of years. And I, I think, I, well, the story's been around for thousands of years. And I think to myself, like, think of all the people that would read a story like this and just see this insane amount of permission to be able to wrestle with the idea of God. That it's, I don't think it's a literal story of a guy named Jacob wrestling with a person all night. I feel like there would have been more details to it if that was the case. But I just, I read a story like this, and there's this permission for me to wrestle and to be honest. And I think as I, work through this journey in the Bible um, and belief and God and whatever God is, I get to be honest about that in this space. And one of the things I've found is there's people in my life, like who I'm about to invite up, that have continually allowed me to be honest and, and bring me deeper into this journey of honesty. So, Alan, please join me up here. Please give Alan, a, I guess, a hand. Just Good job walking up here. That's nice work. And you can grab that, that mic right there. So this is Alan Christensen. Um, he, we've only known each other a short time, a year and a half, a year, year and a half. Uh, Alan is uh, my advisor at the college, and <laughs> the first time I went to meet Alan in his office, what should have been a 15-minute meeting to plan my next semester turned into two and a half hours. Yeah, yeah you had some other students waiting to talk to you after that. Um, <laughs> But we just sat and talked for two and a half hours, and then I've told other stories about Alan before, like one time we hung out and he read a book to me, which is a spiritual experience if I've had one in the last couple of years, uh, having Uncle Alan read to you. I call him Uncle Alan because Matt does. I mean, I don't, can they call you Uncle Alan? You can call me Uncle Alan. Cool. <laughs> so this is Alan Christensen. And so I said we're going to try an experiment today, and we've got a lot of time. So sometimes how these interviews go, I'm just going to let you in on like how the sausage is made. So these interviews, usually the interviewer sits down with the person and we work out a series of questions or thoughts or place we want to take the conversation. Because Alan keeps me honest and he's the most on, one of the most honest people I know, I've got one question for him today and we're just going to see where the conversation goes after that. Um, are you ready? You know the question. As ready as I'll ever be. So the question, um, the question, Alan, is what makes you such an honest person? First of all, I'm just a little surprised that you asked me this, because I will be honest with you. Sometimes I lie. <laughs> <laughs> you asked me, what, maybe two weeks ago about this, so I've had some chance to think about it. I think, first of all, maybe I don't see myself as honest as you do, but second of all, I was raised by a dad for whom honesty was the number one thing. He, I don't know, beat it into us is exactly the right word, but uh, he had this thing about lying. You could do a lot of things, but you never lied to my dad. And so, to a certain extent, that's thinking of honesty is not lying. As I've had a chance to think about this, um, honesty is a lot more complicated than just not lying or telling the truth. How so? So I Googled it, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to do that. Tell them our phrase. We've got a Google phrase. We have a phrase in class that's GTS. Google that stuff. stuff. <laughs> so you Googled it. Yeah, so what's the difference? A lot of people have lots of opinions, and uh, it's complex. Uh, and I don't think I know. Um, 
What's the question again? <laughs> what makes you an honest person? <clears throat> what makes you so honest? I, and I asked you that question. That's the initial question. We talked on the phone yesterday quickly. Mm-hmm. And I got off the phone with you. And the reason I ask you that question is, like, like I said, like I feel like every time we talk, there is this, um, there's this lack of fear that whatever I'm bringing to you, whatever's coming out of my mouth, my mind, my heart to you will be accepted and received uh, very honestly. But, then, but you also then have permission to give it back, and you do. Like, I think that's why our friendship has blossomed so quickly over the last year and a half, because I just feel like you, there's just permission to be honest. So my question for you is, what makes you such an honest person? Sometime after turning 30, I had an epiphany. I came to the realization I was not going to set the world on fire. Um, I came to realize that 100 years from then, people would never know whether I'd lived or died. There might be some writing scratched into a rock somewhere. But I'm not going to have a long-lasting effect on this world, except through my children and grandchildren and the lives I could touch. Um, I think somehow in coming to the realization that I wasn't going to set the world on fire, I suddenly didn't have to set the world on fire. And I could be honest with myself. This is a long answer to a short question. No, it's, Something what, for which I'm famous. What? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, uh, what did it look like for you to be honest with yourself? And in fairness, it took me 20 years, and I'm still working on being honest with myself. Do you mind disclosing your age now? I'm 64. No, Okay, it's a little after 30. Yeah, uh, (laughs) about half my life. Um, I guess if you're not going to set the world on fire, maybe the world, uh, the expectations I held for myself, I let go. One thing is, when you admit... to certain things, then you can be real. What kind of expectations did you have besides setting the world on fire? Like, what were the expectations you had of yourself at 30 that, you've, that, that you had to let go of? Well, I owned my own business at the time. I was going to be a, a successful businessman. I don't know what success means. Uh, I guess I thought I was going to make a lot of money. I never did. Um, yeah. Uh, I guess if I'm honest, what I have to be honest about is that I don't know much. Uh, the, the more I know, the more I know I don't know. And, I, and at that time, particularly, I was really looking for answers. I had four children. Um, we attended church on a regular basis. I was very, I was working very hard to raise my children in the right way. I didn't smoke, I didn't cuss, I didn't drink, uh, and I thought by... Sounds boring. <laughs> as I, I thought that if I raised, if I modeled this to my children, that they would grow up and they wouldn't smoke and they wouldn't cuss and they wouldn't drink. Do they? Yeah, I woke up one day and I <laughs> looked out there, I thought, what the heck? <laughs> uh, why am I not drinking? They're all... <laughs> <laughs> And I still don't smoke. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, so, so you're seeking out these answers to be a better dad? <clears throat> you're seeking out answers to... 
I mean, just what kind of questions sure. would you ask? Sure, I wanted to be a, I wanted to be a better dad. I wanted to be a model. I wanted to be a godly man, and I guess I saw it as that. Life was a lot better back then because, as you and I discussed that first day we met, uh, I've been going through some deconstruction too. I was a little bit envious of, of you young fellows who've gone through it in the last two or three years because I've been at it for 10 or 15 years, and so I, I hadn't... And did you, you, you said you didn't have the language around it either. Like, you didn't really know exactly what it was. Right, right. Because, because I had these absolutes in my life, these things that I knew that I knew that I knew. And, yeah. Did the deconstruction not just take form spiritually, religiously, but then also what it meant to be a man and a father and a husband and those other hats you wear? Yes, because at some point I had an idea what that looked like. I, I, I guess I could, have, I could have told you exactly what that looked like, and I've come to realize that that's not necessarily so. So at, at, age, at age 43, I went back to college. I'd gotten my undergraduate degree in horticulture. I was a landscaper, and I'd run my own company for 25 years. And uh, I decided that I wanted to try something different. So I went back to become an elementary school teacher. That was my goal. Um, setting the world on fire, right? That's right. Well, actually, prior to that, I thought I wanted to be a pastor. I, I, because I wanted to make a difference in people's lives. Um, I remember going and talking to the pastor of our church and telling him that. And he said, uh, how does Cheryl feel about that? Cheryl's my wife. And I said, well, she's probably not as keen on it as I am. And in essence, he said, I'm not so sure it would work for you because that's really a commitment that two people have to go through together. And not that she isn't committed to me, but uh, at least in my experience, churches like to beat the hell out of pastor's wives. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if I wanted to do that to her, plus... Her dream wasn't necessarily my dream. So it was sort of at that point that I decided I wanted to become a teacher because, again, if, if you're going to touch the world, if you're going to make a difference, uh, that's a good way to do it. What's it like going to college at 43? Wonderful. I recommend it highly. Uh, <laughs> it was there for a completely different reason. I was there because I wanted to know. And, uh, yeah, good. So you go to college, 43. You go to be a teacher. Was that... I guess you start that deconstruction, you go through like 10, 15 years of it. So you're entering college still doing that? I think it was sort of starting then. And what I discovered, and I discovered this on my own, or relatively on my own, is that I realized that as a white, middle-class male in an educational setting, I have all the advantages. Because education as we do it is really a white, middle-class institution. And... So what I found myself doing was listening to other points of view, considering other ways of looking at things, simply because I hadn't had to do that before. I was raised in a, in a traditional family, a father and a mother, two sons, two daughters. The boys did things that boys do. The girls did things that girls do. Uh, 
My sister milked the cow one time, and then after that, it was always my job. She disagrees with that, but I have a better memory than she does. <laughs> I, I of, often say I miss the days when the world was black and white because um, my whole world was deconstructed as, as, as reality came about. I think that's something you and I have talked about before. Um, you know, I, I remember one morning uh, just waking up and telling Michaela, just exasperated, like, I wish I could just go back to where I was six years ago because it was simple. It was so cut and dry. It was so, it, it made, yeah, it, it's that same feeling of, I just want to go back to that. And, and um, the, where, where was I going with this thought? I know where I'm going with this thought. For, for you, um, you move into a place where, 43, going to college, where you miss that simple black and white, but what was then on the horizon for you in opening up to that other stuff? What did that turn you into? Towards? What, into, yeah. what you see today. Yeah, my world was pretty much uh, controlled by me. Owning my own company, I kind of got to set the parameters. You know, we don't smoke, and we don't chew, and we don't go with girls that do. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, it was... I surrounded myself with the employees that I chose. Uh, I can still remember a new guy starting, and uh, he let go with a string of cuss words. And this other guy, I hired this guy out of prison for crying out loud. He's, he turns to him, he goes, uh, we don't talk like that here. I realized I'd kind of created this insulated little environment. Uh, we attended the church, a good church, but all our friends were Christians. So we, we were just, we weren't, outside of our comfort zone. So at age 43, suddenly I'm exposed to new ways of thinking. I'm also exposed to new people. And the honesty thing here is, is it, it's very difficult to be honest that you, and admit that you don't believe what you used to believe. Yeah. Because, because I held on to it. Even when I didn't believe it, I forced myself to believe it because if I can't believe it, maybe it's not true. And what does that do for you then? If it's, I mean, if it's not, if it's not true, and you built your whole life on it, it's my foundation. Yeah, yeah. is your life a lie then? Yeah. 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 That's, and I think <clears throat> in our conversations, it's those kind of decisions that you've made that opened my heart and mind up to the fact that you're one of the more honest people I know. That you, at 43, decided to shake all that up because I don't I don't know a lot of people in their 40s and 50s and it's just my experience just you know especially at Hank's pouring beers for you know people in their 40s and 50s like they're pretty set in their ways and you're one of the first old guys I met 60 plus who wanted to hear what I had to say or wanted to hear other people's experiences or challenged the narrative and did it and I think you did it honestly I think that's the honest piece of you and I think perhaps I'd give my dad some credit for that as well, because as he aged, he was, well, he was really black and white. He was very firm when he grew up, but as he aged, I saw him sort of rethink the things that he thought too. He was, a, he was always a staunch Republican, but I remember I, uh, I taught at Crow Agency, and so it was a 70-mile trip from my house down there. So. Uh, uh, two-thirds of that was carpool, and I carpooled with this guy who was just a 
foaming at the mouth Democrat. And he, rah, 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 rah. and finally, I remember it was on October 31st, probably 2001. I said, fine, I'll be a Democrat. It's just so much easier. <laughs> so, so that was my thing. I, I turned into a Democrat. So I told my dad that, and it really bothered him. <laughs> Some years later, he goes, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about becoming a Democrat, too. I've about had it with these Republicans. <laughs> uh, so I saw in him a willingness to look at the world a little bit differently, too. So I think maybe that's, that's part of it. Because I know exactly what you're saying. People, as they get older and older, hold on more firmly to things and can't let go of them. Why do you think that is? It's scary. It's really scary to kick out your foundation. You, you talk about it. Maybe, maybe that's part of the problem in this is you almost talk about it so nonchalantly the way you went through it. Well, you know, 10 to 15 years, and I went back to college. <laughs> I just, it, it's, it's not that easy, though. Like, there's a reality to it that it is terrifying. Yeah. Um, because at the bottom of it all, you've got heaven and you've got hell, okay? And I've been scared of hell most of my life. So, so much of what I did was based on that. You've taken my class. You know that when we talk about culture, I ask my students to give me a spiritual timeline because, because I believe that we view the world through our spiritual eyes. And, and I lay mine out there in front of everybody and talk about how I changed. Uh, my goal in life is to make people think outside of that black and white. And, and in one sense, that's kind of cruel because that black and white was comfortable. But I don't think that it's right. Yeah. <laughs> so my goal is to make you uncomfortable. Nice work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what the mindset shift to when you went from being afraid of hell, what did it turn into? Are you still afraid of hell? Because you said that. I pray it doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a big question to put you on the spot with, but again, you're honest, so I want to lean into this. But did, did that shift? Because you said you made decisions based on fear of hell. I don't know. I don't know if it exists or not. Um, well, yeah, me either, but... I don't know. Maybe part of it is... is trying to let go so that I don't have to know. Maybe I don't have to know. Doesn't make much difference. You know, there's going to come a day when I'm going to stop breathing, and I'll probably find out then. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, do, do you feel at this point, because this is what I see, like, even just in this experience, like, I notice that I'm just, like, keep shifting more towards you because I feel like I'm talking to you in your office. Right, like, I'm, right, really, yes. I'm really enjoying this. Um, do you feel at this point at, at 63, and, and, and I have an opinion on this, so I won't share it yet, but do you feel like you are living the most honest life you can or could, could be? I try to. I try to. Uh, there's... 
things in everybody's life that we don't want other people to know. Um, even as I've sat and watched people sit up here in the hot seat, I've thought, ooh, how, how, how can you be so brave to sit up there and, and talk about those things? And I guess maybe that gave me some courage. Um, yeah, I try to be honest. Um, but that's not to say that I don't lie. Um, there's times when... I've been married for 42 years, okay? <laughs> and there's certain ways that easier to get along. Okay, so <laughs> I like to buy books. I like to buy books, uh, right? Uh, and uh, my wife thinks I spend too much money on books. And she's probably right, but that doesn't keep me from buying books. Uh, so I actually tell my students about this. This is a good idea. So when I taught at Crow Agency, I had quite a library. When I got the job at the college, I brought all my stuff up and put it in the garage. That's why we can't get a car in the garage. So there's lots of books out there. So I've got this great strategy. Now when I buy a new book, I just put it out in the garage. Then I'll go in the house and go out and get the book. And Cheryl will say, is that a new book? I said, it was out in the garage. <laughs> so... It's not, it's not a lie. It's not a lie. <laughs> you were being honest. And partly she knows, she knows this, so it's kind of become just a fun little ritual between us. <laughs> a lot of my life has been spent trying to hide from who I am or trying to be who I'm not. Um, Even sitting up here talking about being honest seems a bit presumptuous to me. Um, yeah. Somehow around, someplace in my 50s, I think it was, I suddenly decided there's some things that I never liked about myself, some things that I thought were wrong, and I suddenly decided, you know what? They haven't changed in 50-some years. They're probably not going to change. How about you just change your mind and decide to like yourself? So that's what I'm working on now. We talked about that. Yeah. We had a long conversation in your office about that. About Or no, Pug Mahomes, rest in peace. <laughs> um, uh, what? Rest in peace. Oh. Oh, no. Uh, we... <laughs> <laughs> it's it's closed forever I think for uh, yeah the owner died this is a great podcast for the listeners <laughs> I have been known to get off one track That's but I right. always maintain I may get off that track but I'm on another one right uh, we so that day at Pug Mahone's rest in peace we um we had this long conversation about liking ourselves mm -hmm. and and you we were standing on the corner out here after after lunch and you said something to the effect of, I wish I had quoted exactly, something to the effect of don't wait till you're 55 to start liking yourself. You said that is too late. And maybe, I guess maybe that's just one more moment that I just appreciate your honesty and who you are because you're just like, don't, like, because I'm 29, you're like, you're 29, don't, don't waste all that time like I did trying to like yourself. Do you like yourself now? Yeah. Warts and all. <laughs> These little black doodads up here I could do without. I got them on my head, too. But yeah. that, other than that, yeah. Other than that, you're good? Wow. All right. 
Um, or, I'm, or I'm learning to like myself, okay? I've, What's that process like? You, got, you have to have a good sense of humor, okay? <laughs> uh, yeah, I just realized that there's some things that aren't going to change, and so let it go. Thank you. I needed to hear that this morning. Thank you. Uh, I could sit and talk with you all day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think because this is just an experiment we're pulling off, I think that's a, a nice, natural place for us to stop your mm-hmm. progression. But I have one last question for you. And I've asked him this before, so we'll see if he changes the answer. Will you adopt me? <laughs> sure. Okay, good. All right, now. Be happy to. It's recorded. We're good. <laughs> I have evidence. Um, well, Alan, uh, thank you so much for your life and your honesty. I honestly, there was a, I, got, I got teary-eyed up here just sitting here listening to you because I'm like, this was a spiritual moment for me that I get to, I feel like I get to share you with the world and it just oh. feels so good. <laughs> so, um, thank you. So, yeah, can we just thank Alan and thank him for his time? So. Yeah, I, that man right there, I'm getting, I'm getting emotional again. You're a good dude. You're a good dude. Uh, he's just, uh, he's continually taught me to be honest, and I love him. I love that guy. Oh, my gosh. Um, I, there are just uh, so many times that we've talked and hung out, whether it's Pug Mahomes or his office or <clears throat> a phone call every now and then, that he just continually pulls me into this opportunity to be honest. Um, and that's a man that if, you know, if you want to get to know him, I really encourage it because who he is as a human being, I think he, I think he embodies that story in Genesis 32 of like, what does it mean to wrestle with ideas? What does it mean to wrestle with, whether it's God or other ideas or anything, he just, Alan reminds me time and time again that for me, honesty is, honest is the only way to live. And so here at CMYK, we have this, this thing that's be honest, be honest. And... Um, I, my hope, my prayer for us is that we are people as brave as Alan to be honest about who we are and where we're at and what's going on. And, and I, think, I think if we can lean into that, this community, this church, this group just gets even better all the time. So, Alan, thank you. I love you. You are one of my best friends. And, I, yeah, you're, you're the man. So, uh, with that, my hope for you is that you would all go be people who practice being honest. It's difficult and it's scary, um, but I believe it is freeing and the most beautiful way to live. So with that, uh, certainly love you guys. We've got some time to hang out, Matt. Time to kick around. So love you guys. Um, we'll be around. Have a great week. No? What? Chris? No? Yep. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> we got the sniffles. Sorry. I forgot about communion. Wow. The thing we do every week. So um, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Um, I don't know how I feel about this. My thoughts around this table are weird right now. But it's one of the few places I get to be honest, I think. That there is a narrative of this table that is body broken and blood poured out for the sufferings of the world, and I think that is honest. I think this table is just, it's honest. That, that when we approach it, there is a, a place and space for us to reflect, to think, to be, to be honest, and I love it. And so... Um, I want to give you time to do that because I was about not to. So um, we're going to give you that moment to reflect and to come to this table and uh, take your time and welcome. So um, 
I'm, I'm not going to be here tonight. I'm about to hit the road uh, for a trip for Art House. Um, but I, I want to take just a quick moment and, and say this. Um, to live in the space that Alan talked about of, I know that maybe I don't like myself. I know that there's some things that I'm believing that I don't really believe, but I'm holding on because I'm afraid of the foundations going out and what that's going to look like. Um, for me, that's a journey that I know that a lot of us have been on and, and I've been on in a lot of ways. And the reality is, I, um, many of us in this community continue to just lean into, okay, well, I'm just going to be honest. And one of the biggest fears in the midst of that is if I say that, if I'm honest, uh, I'm going to be alone <laughs> and nobody else is, is going to embrace me. Now, all, all these relationships that matter so deeply to me are going to be gone. And um, I just want you guys to know how special and beautiful um, this thing called CMYK is. And it has nothing to do with me, but it has everything to do with you and us all collectively leaning into, let's just be honest. And no matter what, no matter what, there's embrace, there's an invitation to this table and that your voice, your life, your story matters. And so for some of you, you might be sitting in that place of like, I don't know, I don't know. Um, I would just encourage you, whatever it is, uh, that you would be honest and know that there are people around you this morning. The reason we get together in a room is that you would know there are people around you this morning that, man, they, they would hear you and our work is to embrace one another wherever you are and whatever's going on. Um, for me, 2018 was a very, very difficult year for a lot of reasons. And um, I just, I, I, I wanted to find a time to say this and I just felt like this morning this is the time to say it. And so I'm going to say it. I, I got to um, <clears throat> walk through in real time the death of my older brother. And I got to continually be honest with you, with the guy with a microphone, and continually say, okay, this is what the Bible says, or this is what Scripture says, or this is what belief says, but I think uh, that doesn't make sense and that doesn't work because there's something else going on. There's a reality in my life. And there are so many things that I was taught in Bible school that you don't say, you don't go there as the guy with the microphone. And I went there because I was honest. And so many of you in this room just continued to embrace me. You didn't try to push me. You didn't try to reshape me or change you just embraced me. And uh, I just want to say thank you. Because I don't know where I'd be or what would be going on in my heart and life without you all here. Uh, and so thank you. Uh, I didn't start a church so that I could live <laughs> walk through that, obviously. Um, but this is one of the most beautiful things. And so I just want to say that, A, as thank you, and B, as this is real. And so please be someone, wherever you are, whatever's going on, look, find someone this morning. Just be honest and, and work through that. Be, continue to be a part of this work with us because we think it matters for our community and city and world that we create spaces like this. So thank you guys. Love you. If there's anything we can do for you, please let us know. Uh, Uncle Alan is typically an evening uh, guy, so this is your morning to get to know him. So make sure to get to know that man because I love him more than Seth. And then uh, <laughs> I've known him longer, okay? He was at my birth, all right? Yeah, I win. Get over it. All right. Love you guys. Have a great, great week. We hope to see you back next week. Thanks.